You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here's Nate. Well, it has now been firmly established as we turn to Exodus chapter 18 that God is for the people of Israel. They are experiencing what it means to be his covenantal people. They are experiencing what it means to be children of Abraham, children of Isaac, children of Jacob. God has delivered them from their slavery in Egypt. God has vanquished their enemy in Egypt. God has provided for them marvelously in the water being turned sweet, and the water from the rock, and the food from heaven, and God has given them supernatural victory over the Amalekites who attacked them as they wandered there in the wilderness. It is obvious that God is for them. And in Exodus chapter 18, they are going to make an important decision which would help them lead the nation well. Namely, Moses would make an important decision which would enable him to lead the nation well. Let's read of it, starting in verse 1. It says that Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, verse 2, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, verse 5, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped, at the mountain of God. So we have now this reunion of sorts with Moses and his family, although for the biblical record, Moses is going to highlight on the interaction of himself with his father-in-law Jethro because an important moment unfolds between them. Now Jethro also in Exodus carries the name Ruel, chapter 2, verse 18. And he's called here the priest of Midian, which is a curious phrase. And it says there in verse 1 that he'd heard of all that God had done and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And so from afar, Jethro has followed the events in Egypt closely. He wasn't the only one interested, of course, but his interest was intensified because he was Moses' father-in-law. But the whole region now knew of God's victory for the Israelites over Pharaoh. Now, there's an interesting line there in verse 2. It says that Moses had sent Zipporah and his sons. He had sent her home. Now, there are a couple of possibilities of what's happened here. Perhaps after they'd started out for Egypt and they got to the place in Exodus 4 where They had an argument and fight over the circumcision of their son. Maybe at that moment, Moses decided to send his family home to protect them from the horrors that would unfold there in Egypt. Or Moses might have just simply sent his family on ahead to Midian 
to collect Jethro, to bring Grandpa Jethro down for a visit. So either way, Moses had sent Zipporah home, but now it's time for a reuniting of the family. And we have a listing here of Moses and Zipporah's sons. One is named Gershom, which means I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the other, Eliezer, which means my God is my help. And so we can relate to these names. We ourselves as believers are sojourners in a foreign land. And we ourselves realize that God is our help. God is our deliverer. Appropriate names for Moses' sons. And when he sent word, verse 6, to Moses, this is what Jethro said. He said, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. A very respectful, paternal society honoring this father. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. So he testifies of the Lord's faithfulness. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro hears this great report from Moses. They, you know, bow down and kiss and all of that. And what an exciting report. You know, this is the best message ever to be able to talk of what God has done in your life. And that's what Moses does. He tells the story of each plague, and he tells the story of the Red Sea, and he tells the story of the Passover, and he tells the story of Mara and the water at the rock in Rephidim, and he tells the story of the battle against the Amalekites and the bread from heaven. He tells these stories. And it's just such a wonderful thing for Jethro to hear, and he just rejoices for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. One of the strongest things you can do is just to share God's goodness in your own life. And so Jethro said, verse 10, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This is a very significant moment here. Jethro declares, as a result of hearing this good news, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Now some would nitpick at this confession, uh, the true statement would be that the Lord is greater than all gods and there are no other gods. Some think that Jethro is simply putting God a notch or two above all of the other deities that he might worship. But I see something good here, something strong here. Jethro was correctly interpreting the events in Egypt. The whole region was supposed to hear of what God had done in Egypt, defeating Pharaoh and all of his gods, and they were supposed to react in the way that Jethro reacted. We've already seen that the Amalekites did not react in that way. 
But Jethro, this man, he does. And he confesses the greatness of God and offers a burnt offering and sacrifices to the Lord. And Aaron and the elders come together seemingly to affirm this action. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. So the reunion has occurred and Moses is back at work. He clocks in and he sits down to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So Jethro just observes for a moment. Sometimes an outside perspective is the order of the day. And he watches Moses sitting there all day long, judging the people. Moses thinks, I'm doing a great thing. Jethro asks, what are you doing? He says, well, you know, the people come. They want to hear from the Lord. They want to inquire from God. They ask me. I inquire of the Lord. I tell them. And Jethro announces with real clarity. He says, listen, you're going to get tired. They're going to get tired. This is too heavy for you. You can't do this by yourself. And so he encourages some kind of delegation, a handing down, a meeting out of responsibilities. This is Jethro's advice. Verse 19, he says, Now obey my voice and I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So notice this advice. Again, it's delegation. The first part of this is, Moses, here's your job. You need to represent the people before God, and you need to go to God, and then you need to go to the people, and you need to warn them about the statutes and laws, and you need to make them know the way that they must walk and what they must do. In other words, Jethro tells him, listen, you might need to delegate, but one thing you shouldn't delegate is the important function of communicating on behalf of God. Paul told pastors in our modern church era, in 1 Timothy 4 verse 13, he said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. In chapter 4, verse 16 of 1 Timothy, he said, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. We are to be men as pastors who communicate the scripture, communicate the word of God. And obviously, there's more than just one of us. There Moses was just one man. There are many messengers of God throughout the world communicating the truth of Scripture to God's people, but it is a serious task. But Jethro went on. 
He said, moreover, look for able men, verse 21, from all people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. Notice the character of these men. They feared the Lord. This is the most important ingredient. As the Proverbs said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There is a reverence for God, a respect for God, a healthy awe of God that is all important for leadership. They must be trustworthy. They must hate bribes. And Jethro said, place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands. So he would organize them of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So different chiefs for different sizes and abilities. He says, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So seemingly good advice from Jethro. He just basically tells Moses, hey, listen, you need to select these godly men, men who fear the Lord, men who aren't going to be persuaded with money and are trustworthy, dependable, faithful men. And you need to appoint them as leaders over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And let them handle these daily questions that the people ask. But you, Moses, commit yourself to communicating the word of God, teaching God's people the Holy Scripture. So Moses, verse 24, listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law, Jethro, depart, and he went away to his own country. Notice the humility of Moses in listening to the counsel and advice of Jethro. And so Moses receives it and implements this judicial court system. And seemingly later on in the book of Exodus would develop this whole system even further. And so just a beautiful thing here, this system that Jethro advises, that Moses initiates and more than likely develops even further as the law is given in the years to come. And so Moses chose these able men beautiful thing. And probably what you have here are the people electing these judges, these officials to serve and to care for them because they would be able to self-identify the good men that were among them. Now in chapter 19, we move on into the setting of the table for the receiving of the law. It says on the third moon, After the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had set out from Rephidim. You remember that's where the water came from the rock and the battle over the Amalekites was won. And they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. And when you read that, you know that it's referencing the mountain where they would receive the law of God. 
Well, Moses, verse 3, went up to God. So now we have the stage beginning to be set where the people of Israel are going to now begin to receive the law. And, you know, they're the covenantal people of God already at this point. God has made his promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and had promised Abraham that the day would come where after a period of slavery for over 400 years, uh, the people would be set free from their oppression and God would fulfill his promises that he'd made to Abraham to these people, his descendants, his ancestors. And now at this point, they are two or three million people strong. They've been covered by the blood at the Passover. They are God's redeemed, covenanted with people. But they're going to receive the law. And so the question here is, why are they receiving now this law? What's the purpose of this Mosaic law. It wasn't annulling the covenant that God had made with Abraham. It was merely adding to it. And the law that they receive is going to be broken down into the Ten Commandments and then the sacrificial system or the ceremonial law and then the everyday laws of life, the civil law in the nation of Israel. Oh, we know from the New Testament that this law was not given in order to save the people. They would be saved by grace through faith. Just as Abraham had been saved by faith, so they would be saved by grace through faith. We know that by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight of God, as Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. So the law did not come to save them. The law came to reveal God's glory to expose our weakness and our need for God, to mark the nation of Israel as a special people, to give them a standard of living as God's covenanted people, the standards of a godly life, to respond to the blood of the Passover by saying, I want to live this way and hand down this heritage from generation to generation. And of course, the law would be a tutor for them that would prepare them for Christ. Paul said in Galatians 3 verse 24, The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So the ceremonial law especially was given to be a picture and a type and a ceremony of the person and work of Jesus Christ as it's made evident by a reading of the book of Hebrews. Now, as we read this law and discover this law, it's good for us to remember that the New Testament makes it clear that the Christian is not under the law, but lives under the sphere of grace. Nonetheless, we have his word revealed to us here in the law, but also in the Old Testament, not telling us how to be saved or how to earn his favor, but how to live, how to live the Christian life. And so that's where we would turn the, the New Testament. But in this First Testament, we can still turn and learn and grow as we discover the great law that God gave to govern the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, his covenanted people. Now, verse 1, it tells us that they set out on the third new moon. So we are three months now after the exodus and they go before this mountain, also called Mount Oreb. This is the place where 
More than likely, God had appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And they go there to this place. God had promised way back in Exodus 3, verse 12 to Moses. He'd said, I will be with you. This will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So they go back to that mountain that God had originally appeared to Moses. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him, verse 3, out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses is now going to speak to Israel of their incredible potential now before God as his covenantal people. He reminds them, verse 4, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. It's important to remember the great victory that God has won for us. Even now today, God's church goes astray and we lose our way when we forget the potency, the power, the victory of the cross of Christ. In future generations of even the church that I am pastoring, if in 40 or 50 years, should the Lord tarry, this church forgets the power of the cross of Christ and turns the gospel into something that is only social. Let's just do good works. Let's be kind people, but let's not confront sin and speak of the blood of Jesus. If they forget that, there's no way they're going to enter into the fullness of the blessing that God would have had for them had they remembered the covenant of God. And so he reminds them, remember what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And he tells them with a great promise, you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation unto me. John reiterated much of the same in the book of Revelation concerning us. He said, God has made us a kingdom, priests, to his God, speaking of Christ and Father, to Jesus be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we serve the Lord as priests. We are a holy nation, meaning we're to be morally pure and dedicated entirely to the Lord. We might live in different nations here on earth, but we are one holy nation. God's people, God's children covered by the blood before the Lord. Now Moses, verse 7, came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. So it's as if that initial announcement from Moses was kind of a question. He goes up to the mountain. God says, hey, go back down there and tell them, I want to give them the law. I want to speak to them and govern them so that they could be a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation unto me. 
Go run that by them. They affirm it. They say, we will do it. We will do it. Which I think in general was a good heart from these people. They wanted to be committed to the Lord. They needed the help of the Spirit of God to be able to do it. And they would quite often break this commitment. But wonderful zeal and devotion on their part. And so the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to back you up. They'll believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up to the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So Without belaboring the point, there was this moment of consecration. They actually set a boundary around the mountain. They withheld themselves sexually from their wives. They cleaned their garments. They did things outwardly to communicate an inward and internal desire to be consecrated unto the Lord, to receive his word. Oh, how I wish as we came together in church that we would consecrate our hearts to really receive whatever the Lord desires to speak to us, that it wouldn't be a flippant thing, but that our hearts would be devoted to him as we seek to learn and know his word. Now on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, verse 16, and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast came from the mountain so that all the people in the camp trembled. There's this general fear before God. And verse 17, then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai, verse 18, was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So this is a very ominous moment. Fire and smoke is involved. God is, as Hebrews 12 verse 29 tells us, a consuming fire. Moses had received a vision and had seen the burning bush that was not consumed. So he knows this is the Lord, the smoke, the fire. And the Lord, verse 20, came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And so the Lord invites them in one sense up to the mountain. It's an interesting thing. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. It's physically impossible, Lord, not to mention you already warned us. So we set these limits. I think God was testing them. And the Lord said, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. 
But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, God was testing to see, are these a people who are truly consecrated to me in their hearts? Are they truly ready? If they can't obey that first little commandment about the mountain, how will they obey anything that I'm about to deliver to them? So after testing them, God invites Moses along with Aaron up to the mountain to receive the word of God, the law of God of the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.